just another day spending some time with the album of the year. Oh, the six feet under. I don't even, I forget what it's even called. Called Nightmares of the Decomposed. And Jesus. Do you, you, do you share, you don't share my opinion that it's bad or do you share my opinion that it's bad? I think that it exists in a place outside of good or bad evaluations. I think that it in and of itself is just a statement of some sort of horrible, sadistic, artistic intent. And I, I got to dig around in it more before I get there, man. I Yeah, I'm probably going to listen to it again. I listened to it like one time and then I went back through and like kind of listened to the songs that I thought I liked because yeah. of Jack Owen. Yes, and there there are moments that Jack Owen. I mean, I'm a Jack Owen fan, as I'm, as yeah. you are, obviously, and uh, exactly, that's man. gratifying to hear. You know. Yeah, I mean, you got you got Jack Owen, one of the fucking best guitar players in the history of death metal, one of the best to ever pick it up, and then you got fucking Jeff Hewell and Marco Pitrocella as the fucking uh, rhythm section on this record, and those dudes are you know they were in Brain Drill together. That's two of the tightest musicians, one of the best rhythm sections in technical death metal. No now, the fact that they're doing this is a hell of a thing, but a couple of these songs, man, this last track on here, Without Your Life, that's one of the, musically, instrumentally, is one of the best Six Feet Under songs I've ever heard. Yeah, there's definitely instrumental moments. I just, I, I get what you're saying about Chris Barnes, like, maybe being genius and, like, fucking with us and may, trying to make us as uncomfortable as possible, and it might be working, but I doubt that that's his intention. I don't think that it is his intention, and I don't, but, but it's not, it's not about whether or not he intends it to be that way, right? I guess it's about, not. It's about whether or not the actuality of it forces us into a reckoning, right? Where we've got to look at death metal and be like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, I'm, still, I'm still hammering out the ideas for this or how I wanted to come together, but, but it's, it's actually turned into an academic article. It's no, part of a much, it is. I can't part wait. Of a much, it's part of a much bigger conversation, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that at some other point anyway. We, yeah, I was thinking me and you should do a solo Lips and Riffs episode around the Halloween season and just talk about Cannibal Corpse. I'm down, man. Pay some respects and just have, maybe will, have that conversation in there. That I will fun. have, that'll be the longest episode of Lips and Riffs probably yeah. because once you get me talking about Cannibal Corpse, man, I can't shut the fuck up. I'm, I'm on a kick right now, bro. I'm in. I'm full into Cannibal Corpse right now. It's great. I'm loving life, dude. I'm old school Cannibal Corpse. I'm gore obsessed. Everything. I'm just in. That's, it's so good, man. It's where you want to be. Yeah, especially now. Anyway, Crypticus is in the waiting room. Let's talk to him about it. Let's talk to this dude. Let's do it. Should we give him an intro before I let him in, or should we let him in? Absolutely. So joining us today on Lifts and Riffs is the mastermind behind long-running horror death grind act, Crypticus. He is also an engineer who has worked with people like Putrivore and Cropsy Maniac. He is also the host of a YouTube segment called Megatrends in Brutality where he digs through the underground of death metal to bring you the nastiest shit that you haven't heard of. Uh, his name is Patrick Bruss, and he's going to join us right now. Great intro. I'm excited now. I didn't know all that. Oh, man. Just wait. I can't wait. There he is. Crypticus. Hello. Can you hear me? We can. There's my guy. <laughs> Have uh, we met before, sir? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not familiar with you. What, what, what's your name there? I've been stalking you for 20 years. 
Oh, Jesus. Have you, has he explained this to you, sir, our, our common uh, past here that we, we share? Yes, no, actually, I, don't, I don't trust you more, so I'd like to hear it from you, Patrick, if you don't mind. Uh, <clears throat> well, actually, I, I just became aware of it. So can you hear me okay? Yes, you sound oh, yeah. beautiful, sir. Thank you. Okay, great, great, great. Hold on. Let me, uh, I was just watching Mr. Vampire, which is fucking awesome. Uh, well, uh, Schuler and I have been friends on social media for I don't know how long now, but uh, I had no idea that we apparently went to the same high school and and I'm talking in a very small creepy southern town like obscure place that nobody comes from <laughs> except us and one guy on Broadway that's it <laughs> so, and uh, yeah and it turns out that he, uh, well this is the part that I don't feel comfortable uh, sharing but I'd rather have Schiller just describe it but apparently he discovered some of my demos that I accidentally left behind and things like that which uh, just yeah. blows my mind so <laughs> I uh so I it turns out that Patrick dated the daughter of my favorite teacher in high school and when I was in high school I was spending some time in her office and I found a couple of things and one of them was a tape called Science and Horror that turned out to be <laughs> a very very a very early version of what would go on to become Crypticus but the other thing that I found in there was a copy of Hypocrisies Abducted and while I had already heard, you know, some some American death metal at that time, I already heard like Six Feet Under and Deicide and a few more bands like that. I hadn't really had that much of exposure to to uh, some of the European shit. And because this dude happened to leave that CD behind <laughs> at some point or another, like my entire musical trajectory took a turn that absolutely would not have happened otherwise. So, and. It's so crazy. Yeah. And I had no idea about this. We've been friends on Twitter and on Instagram for quite a while, just nerding out about death metal. And then he drops that on me like, holy shit, bro. <laughs> and then, you know, he knows everybody that I know and he knows this whole town and it's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, yeah. It was very crazy. And, uh, and then uh, I was able to actually dig up the demo that he was referring to. I still have all that garbage. I mean, this is ancient, this shit I was doing when I was like basically a little kid. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just amazing. That nobody knows about science and horror. Nobody knows. Nobody cares about science and horror except, well, you and a couple of, of people that were there for it. So yeah, just just made made my made my uh, century to hear that. So thank you. But yes, thanks for having me on the show, guys. I, I uh, I'm 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 excited. Based on that backstory, I can't believe it took us this long to get you on the show. I know, I know. Well, I, I didn't know about this until just a couple of days ago. So yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, and I like I I thought about him early on, but I I wasn't sure if he'd want to do it. I know he's super busy with his own shit. He's super busy fucking engineering other bands. He's super busy with you know. <laughs> I assume that you work, <laughs> and then also I do. You, know, you got your own. You got your own show too. You got Megatrends and Brutality. So. A lot yes, of, which a I lot just of, started out of boredom, really. For uh, the, it's really this is isn't this a great time? This pandemic is a great time to have a podcast or some kind of vlog or something. This yeah, is the time for it. One. Yeah, and you you basically taught me how to use Zoom. So I this is also the first my first time ever doing Zoom outside of the the thing we just did for Megatrends. But uh, so I I didn't even know this was possible on my computer. So I, yeah, I'm so excited now to that I can be on your show and that I know how to do it and shit. So and get other people on your show. Well, I well I how do you know you're not on my show right now? You both might be on my show right now. <laughs> I mean, never can tell. <laughs> Whose show are we on? It could be anyone's show. Tell, tell me about your show, because I was previously unaware of it, so maybe... Well, it's, I don't know if there's much to tell. It's basically, uh, I just, uh, 
yap about death metal that I love because that's real. I, I, I'm kind of like Schuler that I'm so obsessed with this garbage. Like I can't like I, I, when I'm at work on my work computer, I'm researching brutal death metal that I download to my phone that then I walk around at work listening to on my phone. And then I'm always higher, trying to put it into a hierarchy. This is better than this. And this one's better than this one. This more brutal than this one. And, and it's like, it's like my sports, I guess it's my sports yeah, sure. and I'm super nerdy about it. And I, I like more than anybody I know in my personal life. So uh, after a while I said, you know, I know nerds like you guys and uh, Trevor Sternad but they're my friends online. So I'll just start trying to put a little thing online that maybe can spread the, the stuff I love to, to, to the people that I know online and, and uh, share it. And also maybe uh, like, you know, everybody has a show where they're going to talk about the new six feet under the new cannibal course, but these are like, you know, I'd prefer to highlight little tiny bands from Indonesia and shit like that. And, you know, really yucky, brutal shit that nobody else is going to cover basically in, in a, in a vlog or very few people in America will. So I, I just started kind of throwing up, and as you can see, my camera's not very good. Uh, I don't have really good tech specs over here, but it's more driven by passion and fun. And I literally play the music live on the show the first time. So you're seeing my live reaction and I'm freaking out usually <laughs> or being very disappointed and, and giving it to <laughs> the face. But, uh, yeah, but it's all my real reactions too. So that's kind of part of it is just me uh, honestly reacting i think people probably think i'm faking it or you know overcooking it but no i really am that you know if i hear a fucking amazing riff i really act like a fool you know i just want to break the walls down so yeah and i like to get drunk and uh, get a little stoned and uh, put on some death metal and then throw the camera on and then edit it down and put it out there people seem to have been enjoying it and i've noticed that it has actually been getting back to the bands that i'm playing on the oh, show good. yeah That's and Slowly, they're starting to go, oh, yeah, this guy's hilarious. He's checking out our stuff. And, and you know, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. It's all just for the love and the passion, which I'm sure is the same reason you guys do it, you know, so. Very similar. We're all, we yeah. have room vibes about that, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look at the rooms we're in. Look at our, <laughs> well, I don't have any good posters like you guys, but, yeah, we're all in uh, chambers of passion, <laughs> surrounded by our passion. <laughs> I mean that in many ways, fellas talking about death metal on the reg that no one else covered. <laughs> yes, hopefully. Well, I, this is one of the things that I was talking. So we, this whole conversation, all these revelations about sharing time in the same town came from what was supposed to be a Zoom test chat on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turned into like a fucking three hour conversation. But so Zach, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of stuff we're going to be going over for like the second time now or, or, or gesturing to shit that conversations that have already taken place and we'll try and loop you in on it as best we can. But one of the things I was talking to Patrick about on Saturday um, is sort of almost from like a, like a cultural studies standpoint, I'm really excited about how long death metal has been around because mm. we're, we're at this interesting era or this interesting amount of time where the the originators of the genre, right, are, are old, but they're still playing this music and they're still appreciating this music. And then fans of this music uh, who got into it when they were very, very young are now, you know, well into their late 30s, into their 40s, into their 50s, still enjoying this music. And probably like mm. half the fan base for death metal uh, hasn't been alive as long as the genre has been around. And I, I think that that's really cool for a few reasons, but one of the reasons that I think it is, is coolest, and especially with the internet and with everybody having their own projects because of the pandemic, is that we get access to these death metal musicians who are prolific, who are talented, who make really cool shit, 
but who also at the same time are pedigree death metal fans. And I consider Patrick to be one of those people, Trevor Sternad to be one of those people, uh, Rocco Martone from Chain to the Dead to be one of those people that these vast sort of uh, wellsprings of, of metal knowledge and sort of uh, an understanding of the history. Um, and they are excited about sharing it, like nerding out about it as much as they are promoting their own shit and creating their own art. And I think that that's something that is, I don't want to say entirely unique just to death metal, but I do think as a phenomenon, this is a place where you're going to see more examples of that more often. And that's just, yeah. that's really cool to me, man. There's something about the genre that encourages that. I think this like, it's kind of, I, I think the only other genre that has this in the same way is hip hop where it's yeah. like, this is the people's music. You know, uh, you can make it in your bedroom or you can take it to a Coliseum or whatever, but there will be an audience on every level of it. There's, and I, I love, that's actually why I also love stuff like, uh, I'm not into it personally, but I love the scene of, of uh, uh, Dungeon Synth. Are you all right there, Schuler? You okay? Yeah, yeah. Everything my, okay there? This is red dog wigged out about something. <laughs> Would you calm down? You're Three-headed Zebras, he has chained beneath him at all times. That's all it is. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Uh-huh. I think Sorry, that was somebody continue. dressed in a gimp suit. I think that was a human bark I just Let's heard there. Audition. I know what's going on in that house. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, the, the bag rolls over and <laughs> yeah, I exactly. feed it to a bowl and she eats <laughs> that's it. What, exactly thank you oh for my getting God. my reference thank you dude audition reference. fucked me up the first time i saw that movie zach have you seen that love audition dude oh yeah. god that oh, scene Masha Mike is a master oh, that, boy. that shit that shit wrecked me yeah would you would you fellas like some of this wine i'm drinking here pour it out for the for the homies yes here you go yeah, yes yeah, it's good stuff <laughs> for, the, for the sober homies let's go oh sorry 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 i, I apologize no, i was not fine. aware about that yeah, no, I would never offer wine to somebody sober. I respect that. I uh, would. You're a better man. Than <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Most definitely. We're glad to have you. We So Zach recently, um, Zach got put onto Crypticus's back catalog, getting ready for this. Um, we were talking mm -hmm. about sort of going through some of, the, some of the music that you've put out, and I sort of was giving him some suggestions about where to start. Mm -hmm. um, Zach, man, let's let's talk a little bit about your first exposure to this. What's some of your <laughs> some of your uh, takeaways from it? How you feeling as a horror fan and as a death metal fan? Right. Honestly, the first thing I thought of was this dude is a legit fan. Right? Oh, yes. thank you. Yes, that, absolutely. And you know, the music the music's obviously great, but you know, the horror influences are great, and that's just something I knew I could connect with immediately. And uh, I was I was not proved wrong. I totally enjoyed every bit of it, man. The Thank you so much. They're meaty. The vocals are nice and brutal. <laughs> and it yeah, is so about the vocals, right? One of the things after oh, our yeah. conversation on I Saturday, I was uh, I went down sort of the you know I was listening to your old shit, some of the some of the earliest days. Obviously, your vocal approach has changed quite a bit as everybody who grows artistically sort of changes the way that they approach things. How the fuck did you learn how to gurgle like that, man? How do you get that deep? Yeah. Uh, well, this is weird to me because actually in my mind, it hasn't changed at all. Like I actually am still doing vocals exactly the way I did them on um, Dedicated to the Impure. It's just I kind of had a bit in the middle, like around the Barons and stuff where I was doing more uh, um, intelligible vocals. I've just gone back to my old style now. So if you actually listen to it, I am just gurgling the whole time. And then I had oh. a little bit in the middle where I was intelligible, but it was actually, I don't know where that comes from. 
but I do know, I, I, I thought about this quite a bit because as you hear, my voice is very tinny, but my gurgles are like from the sewers of hell. So it's it, like, yes, I, it comes from a different part of me. And I've studied this in, in how other people do it. And I seem to do it in a different way than other people. Um, it's not, it's more in my mouth than it is in my throat. It's a weird, and this is the truth. Um, there was this, when I was a little, little, little kid, I saw this, this old, old this is because I had to recover this memory to find out where these vocals came from. There was this old uh, 70s like TV adventure movie. I think it was called like the Raiders of Atlantis. And it was all these guys that went in a diving bell underwater and were attacked by all these sea monsters, which were awesome puppets and, and, you know, old school effects. But there was this one scene where they had to cross a bridge and there was this huge monster that came up out of the sludge and he had this gurgling sound that he made. And I oh, saw God. that movie when I was a little kid and I was obsessed with that monster, which is just a rubbery puppet, but it's so cool and creepy. It's like a rubbery puppet on a, on a green screen behind these guys on a bridge. And it, it's, if you see it now, it's very laughable, but I was so scared of that monster when I was a little kid. And I watched that movie over and over if I could, anytime they aired it on TV and I would just imitate that monster. And I honestly think that that's why there's so much uh, horror in the music is because I am actually literally imitating hor a horror monster <laughs> as the vocals. <laughs> it's, it's not supposed to be like, oh, this is a guy growling in the studio. It's literally like, oh, this is some rotted monster. This is some horror host like the Crypt Keeper or something. It's not supposed to be human. But I think that's the origins of them is that monster from that movie. And uh, it's, it's so interesting to be able to trace that back in this yet again, another conversation we had on Saturday about how sort of the way that the a love of this kind of music and I think sort of the way that, that musicians or artists in this day and age get accustomed to playing it is is all through digital transmission a lot of times mm -hmm. you know you can reach people who are in the middle of nowhere it's not just about what band comes through your city anymore but yeah you know back in the early 90s back in the mid 90s when sort of this identity was really starting to form like come out of the basement and people were starting to give a shit about it it wasn't as it, it it wasn't as simple as just being able to say that guy you know i want to sound like jeff becerra or i want to sound like chris barnes or whatever mm -hmm. um a lot of times this shit was sort of happening in a vacuum and you having been doing this for as long as you have it's it's interesting to me sort of where those inspirations come from and it's not at all disappointing to find out that it comes from a fucking science fiction <laughs> 70s tv movie with it's like the a, only a, thing that makes sense to me, I knew, but as soon as I heard it, I was like, this dude is an alien puppet. Yeah, this is, this is what happened. <laughs> I, I knew it. <laughs> you knew it was that movie? It. I knew it was that fucking movie, man. I knew, I, I knew you, were, you had to be just a super horror nerd, and I would love you for it. So I have to ask, what, did that come first? Did horror movies come first for you, and then death metal, or was it a meeting of, at the same time? Or how, how that oh, well, well, no, clearly, because, uh, yeah, just the film I'm describing right. to you, I, that's something I saw when I was, like, literally, like, seven years old okay so, um, that makes sense. yeah it was more like when death metal came along uh, well okay this kind of uh, actually you know in less roundabout way i can answer your question this uh in terms of it was when i heard i want to say it was when i heard Gorefest the first time is when that connected to the monster noise i was like this guy's just a monster you know like i can't think of the guy's name from Gorefest, uh but uh that album uh mind loss 
was a big one. Uh, I heard mine lost sometime in the early nineties. A friend of mine had it. And, uh, I remember that guy's growl was like, this guy's like a fucking monster. And I started imitating his growl a little bit on the demos I was doing, but that was pro so yeah, maybe, uh, there was a little bit of a gore fest influence or something, but, uh, yeah, I didn't have access to any, like I lived where there was no scene. So I didn't have any access to like, uh, um, Oh, this guy over here, I'm going to imitate him and stuff. Like I, yeah. you know, like we discussed on my show, I had only heard like the earliest death metal at the time and stuff. So, so uh, I was kind of uh, influenced by uh, Gorefest. And then I think maybe the first time I heard uh, Brujeria's first album, Matandugueros. Oh, yeah. Matandugueros. Yeah. That album, I think, had, had some kind of an influence on my, you know, which is just a really sloppy, ugly album. But there was something about the vocals on that album that yeah. I really loved too. But yeah, I, to answer your question definitely definitely horror first yeah death metal uh to me is just a a, a different corner of horror i i would dare say <laughs> you know I, I think so too i think it's always possible to not connect the two or to yeah, be it, a fan of one and not the other i get upset when death metal bands don't connect them it's like what are you doing making non-horror death metal but i mean i know there's some proggy people out there that can express their complex feelings i guess i guess yeah you're not into the party death metal i'm sorry what's that you're not into the party death metal you're not into uh songs about pizza and fucking shit like that no, hey, you do know I was the uh, producer of Axe Slasher, so yeah. I, <laughs> that's, where you that's where I'm pushing you, my man. What do you think? Uh, the, I, the number one pizza band on the planet. Yes, I, I helped produce that, yes. Often imitated, never <laughs> yes. duplicated. The, uh, the, yeah, I, I remember following the, uh, the I, I don't know, following is probably the wrong word, but seeing a number of different like Pizzagram merch items start popping up in random places around the world and him having to deal with all that. But mm. that that's an interesting segue into uh, sort of, you know, and I want to come back to Crypticus, and of course we will, and I understand that that, and, and at least in my mind, that's your baby, that's your main outlet. Um, but you also have an extensive history as an engineer and a producer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How did you get connected with the people that you ended up working with? And oh my God. ultimately, I, you know, where I want to get with this conversation, we didn't talk about this on Saturday, but I don't know if you've just picked it up from my social media presence or not. I am a big, big, big Raga Johansson guy. Uh, oh, and no, so, I didn't know that. Yes, that, that whole row of CDs <laughs> and vinyl back there is, is all Raga shit. Oh, holy uh, shit. I can, so, I can answer a lot of your questions. Yeah. I, I yeah. So first, like, tell us, you know, tell us how you got started doing that and then sort of how you made those connections and where you stand right now. That's oh, good. Jesus Christ. This is a very, to me, this was a very magical connection in my life because, um, yeah, I'll try to pare this down. <laughs> you know, I know these stories can get very long. Um, right. actually Raja is very, and by the way, it's Raja as far as I've, oh, I've okay, been told. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like kind of a, uh, a, their version of a Roger, let's call it. But uh, Raja is uh, very tied in with me becoming a producer and stuff. Because actually, uh, the reason that I got on Razorback Records at all on my first album was released by them. Uh, for you, uh, you know, in case you need footnotes, Dedicated to the Impure came out uh, 2005. That was because I had sent a demo to Raja before that because I was trying to be on a split with him because I had heard rib spreader 
which was produced oh, yes. by Dan, Dan Swano. I know this story yeah. keeps going further and further backwards, but Dan Swano, who is one of my biggest heroes as a producer and as a death metal musician and as a one-man musician and as a prog musician and everything. He's someone I kind of, you know, uh, in, am very much inspired by. He produced Rib Spreader's first album, which when I heard it, I was like, this is the kind of death metal I love. This is, you know, old and ugly and it's not full of blast beats. And, you know, it has a lot of character and atmosphere to it. And, it had, you know, Roger's vocals are so gross. You know, yeah. he's, you know, that that's the other thing. When I heard his vocals, like this guy's a monster too. You know, yeah. this is my kind of fucking vocals. So I sent him emails, like just as a huge fan, like, hey, bro, you know, I'm working on this, this thing called Crypticus and I wanted to know if you wanted to do a split together or anything. I just was just kind of hounding him. And he was like, yeah, 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 whatever. That sounds fine, whatever. I'd send him MP3s. And he'd go, you know what? Uh, you know who would love this? Have you sent any of this to Razorback Records? You should just, like he was trying to get me off of his back and just <laughs> send it over to Razorback. So I, I, I sent some stuff to Razorback, which I didn't know at all. And I kind of said, you know, Roger from a rib spreader said, you guys should check this out. You know, I kind of used him a little bit in yeah. the email, sent it to uh, Billy and Jill Girardi, Billy Nocera, Jill Girardi, who uh, ran uh, the label back then and uh, they were very very nice to me and they were like we love this shit you know send us a full demo so i sent them a demo and uh it was eventually through that connection that i got my music heard at all and it was through then razorback records that i got to be start producing stuff because they the first assignment i ever had ever 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 was um billy from uh razorback said uh, we're we're going to re-release the Impetigo albums and we'd yeah. like to have somebody uh, remaster them. And we think you could do a respectful job of it, you know, not make, you know, not fuck with the sound and stuff. I was like, oh yeah, because uh, that whole label was basically founded on the Impetigo sound and everything. They huge respect for Impetigo and Steve-O and all those guys. So uh, yeah, I, that was my first assignment. And uh, I really took a long time. You know, those are super sloppy underground ugly sounding records yes. but i really like i treated that shit like it was the criterion collection like I, I i think it took like six months to do it or something and when i finally sent it back everyone was like oh this is amazing this is great and uh like to this day if you get those like even on vinyl or anything that's my remaster because and then the copies, i the copies that i have are your remaster well everybody in the band you know who are all you know legends in underground yucky death metal they all were really happy with my remastering job so then through that i became friends with steve-o and so forth and a lot of bands heard those remasters were like we really like what you did would you be interested in mixing some stuff And the first band that that really said you know hey you want to mix something for us like we'll let you do our uh, album just you mix it completely was uh wayne from a decrepitaph and so uh it was uh What's that first album called? It's like something Cathedral, Ruined Cathedral. So I can't remember. The first Decrepitaph album was my first full mixing assignment that wasn't my own stuff. But by then I, you know, I'd done been doing my own stuff all along. So I kind of had some experience mixing. But from there on, it just took off. And each thing I mixed, another band heard. And so I'd get the next band from what I mixed then. Say, hey, could you mix this? We liked what you did on that. So then I kind of slowly started networking up to, you know, more and more interesting bands but throughout that 
Raja was one of the guys that would come back and go, hey, can you mix this for me now, Mr. Big Pants, now that I got you this career in death yeah. metal? You want <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir, I can. So I was his, uh, his mixing uh, 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 jockey, if you will, for several, several releases, including I, my biggest closing of the circles that I got to mix the next Rib Spreader album. And uh, that was my first kind of big assignment, you know, with outside musicians and shit that I didn't know and like a real album that had to sound big and professional. So that, yeah, that was awesome. And I can't thank him enough. Can't thank Billy enough. But yeah, all those guys, Billy, Steve-O, Raja, it's just all a trail of awesome people that helped me out. So that's, uh, I, I, but, you know, in terms of mixing each Roger project, I can give you individual stories on those. But yes, Roger's a, a very prolific motherfucker, isn't he? Yes, <laughs> one way to put it. That is one way to put it. Yes. I was mix- say, you say you did several releases for him. And I want to say, like, did that span a couple of months? Like, oh, uh, years. No, like span like a decade. Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm being sarcastic when I say, oh, sorry, if sorry. you <laughs> say this motherfucker, if you say you did several things with him, like that could easily have happened within like one quarter of a year. No, no. It I, think, yeah. I think he's done like four. I think he's, it, it was quiet for a little while. And then over the summer. So yeah, I, I hosted, I hosted death metal show and we, it's at a, uh, it's on a university campus. And so mm-hmm. everything got shut down because of fucking COVID. We finally got to where there was limited access to the radio station over the summer. So I started doing the summer show again. I was limited to a two hour block, which sucked because in the summers you typically get a three hour block to play. And one of the recurring themes that I wanted to do for this past summer's shows was have what I was calling Raga blocks or Raja, <laughs> Raja blocks, where I would play, um, just like a random collection of shit from his different projects that all sort of fit together. Cause you know, some of them are a lot more melodic like dead Sun and, uh, and oh, yeah. uh, uh, those who bring the torture. And then some of them are like rib spreader where it's just fucking gross pukey shit, rib spreader, um, severed limbs, bands like that. Uh, and I ended up doing that, but I had to like condense it way down. So like, I still have a shitload of his <laughs> stuff that I haven't played before. And He's the Roger I, Corman of, of underground death metal. That, He's just yeah, pumping them exactly. out. <laughs> but over the summer, like as I was sort of, I, you know, my collection was already pretty big, but I was trying to grab a couple of other things. I got that putrivore and grim, grim fate split and a couple other things. I was looking and thinking to myself, like, why is this dude not released like eight or nine records right now? This was by June of earlier this year. Because it seemed like it had been relatively quiet. And then, of course, I stuck my fucking foot in my mouth because as of, I think he's released like four things since then, or, or at least a, a released like three and announced another two. It's just incredible. It's, it's, it's the most prolific dude in death metal. It's absolutely right. Well, the thing is, uh, I, and, and, you know, hopefully I'm not speaking out of school here. Uh, I, I, he had a kid a couple of years ago. So I think that was literally the only thing that put a dent at all in that fucking forward momentum. He is so fucking prolific. Like I have had to turn down or at least like not be involved with 20 things with him because now I'm doing this. Nope. Sorry. Man. Like he'll just send me an e- email just randomly. Like he'll first he'll send it on Facebook and I won't see it for a month cause it's on Facebook. And then he'll resend it on. It's like, Hey man, you want to mix a couple of songs for me? Like, yeah, man, send them over. And then I'll mix them and send them back to him and I'll have no idea what project they're for. So like, what was that CD you held up? It's like one of his newest ones. It's ghoul, ghoul house. It's my favorite death metal release of the year so far. 
It has amazing cover art. I love that one. I know I didn't mix that one. Giallo inspired and those old school horror movie shit. It's amazing. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to order that one. Because see, I actually saw that and I didn't even know it was him, like you're saying. But I think those songs, I remember hearing a couple of those songs in demo form that he sent me to mix and I kind of fucked around with and I said, hey man, sorry, I got to do this other thing. And then like, I, you know... out of that because i won't even know what project it's for he'll just say mix this send it to me and then it'll come out and like oh that was uh, those who bring the torture oh it was yeah. like oh okay so i i still don't even know for sure what i did or didn't mix for him <laughs> or what it's called like he, it's interesting where you when you say like i didn't know that he was in you, you know you didn't know that he was involved with a certain project or not because this it, a continuing theme for me over the years is sitting there thinking to myself well I haven't heard of so-and-so vocalist in a while. I wonder what they're up to. And a few years ago, I was like, I haven't heard of fucking, it, it was in the middle of like some ongoing massacre drama and I fucking love From Beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking to myself like, what the fuck is Cam Lee doing these days, man? And because in America, for the most part, you get no press coverage whatsoever for the shit that this guy does, but he's super active and he's doing stuff with people overseas all the time. And mm-hmm. I start, and I was like, what does this band, The Grotesquery? I'm going to check that out. Sure oh, enough, fucking Roger Johansson's in fucking the grotesquery. Oh yeah. Last yeah. summer, not th- not this past summer, but the summer before, one of the bands that I had somehow managed to skip over throughout this entire long career of of listening to death metal was Benediction. I'd heard Transcend the Rubicon a long time ago, but I'd never really dug into the rest of their catalog. And so I'm listening to the rest of their catalog, and I was familiar with Dave Ingram from the Bolt Thrower record, mm-hmm. and. I asked myself, this was before he rejoined the band last year, I asked myself, what has Dave Ingram been up to? And I find this other thing called Down Among the Dead Men. And I was like, this is fucking tight. Who else is in this? Sure enough, fucking Roger Johansson's in that <laughs> band. So like, he's everywhere. You, you cannot hide from him. You cannot escape. See, uh, yeah, I'll go through a death metal blog and I'll just see a cool cover art. And I'll be like, let me check this out. And then I will listen to it without seeing who's in it. And I will just hear what I call the Roger riff. Because I've heard eight million of those Roger riffs, and uh, I'll be that's him, that's fucking Roger. And I'll go on Metallum, like, there he is, that's him. I knew it, god damn it. And you go on his Metallum page, it's like it's eight million things. Yeah. If you, it's it's insane, it takes just like the footnote of how many bands he was in takes up half the page. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's he's impossible to keep up with. That's my impossible task. That's what I put myself to as a collector. I'm going to own everything he's ever been oh on my God. one day. You, you know what? I've uh, I still am lacking a few of the physical releases that I've mixed for him, and I've so I've emailed him like, "Hey, can I get this or this or this from you?" And he's like, "Oh shit, I don't even have that." I'm like, which one was that? What year was that? So it's like to him, he's not even keeping track of it. So. I love that man. I love that kind of passion. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's pure passion. Pure Absolutely. passion on like uh I, I just wonder what it's like for him now that he has a kid. Is his kid just hearing riffs all day, you know? <laughs> Probably gonna end up fucking enlisting his kid at some point as a musician because he's gotta be burning oh, I'm sure. people. I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> pull, a, pull a Max Cavalera. Uh, speaking of Max Cavalera, we're gonna make the Roadrunner connection here. So yeah, follow me because I'm I'm kinda I'm doing some jumping around. Okay doing the lateral thinking here <laughs> you and i are supposed to have a conversation and, and zach can be a part of this conversation too because he is a big fan of the band as well you recently did a deep dive into fear factory yes which was because of you uh well and 
Yeah, and because I, of the drama that's going yeah, on. Yeah, right so now. I'm I'm a massive Fear Factory fan. I have been, you know, for for a very very long time, and I have followed them through all of their lineup changes and all of their bullshit and all their litigation <laughs> and only for all of it to finally apparently just sort of come crashing down after a seemingly amicable resolution yeah yeah no that, shit that got me on twitter in my feelings fucking lamenting the the, the loss of an institution and um, we started talking about Fear Factory and you decided to take a deep dive into the catalog and when we mentioned this on Saturday you said I might not like what you have to say and now I really gotta know like tell us about your journey through Fear Factory because we talk about them on the show all the time or I do anyway well I figured you did I know that yeah. you're a big uh, Fear Factory stan um, nerd, which kind of surprised me yeah no nobody which you know as is your want like nobody these days would express generally love for those guys in the scene that you're kind of floating in but uh as you normally do you don't give a shit which you shouldn't uh and that's what inspired it's like you know i uh they were a band that i could never get into i didn't really like their early stuff it was never actually it was never heavy enough for me and i never liked the you know because <laughs> this, this is every fear factory song and you know this is every and and see that's been my problem so the riff also it's it's the same riff every time too but you know what did uh get me to to decide to go all right fuck this you know i should give this another chance especially there's a whole slew of albums i hadn't heard you know because i i kind of slid them into the new metal category a long time ago sure. which i i think was unfair actually now that i revisited the shit but uh is because no matter what the fuck you say dino is tight like it, it like a drum it just clockwork his fucking yeah. big fat wrists are just fucking like atomic clocks <laughs> okay so it's that in, ter in terms of appreciating brutal death metal, I think there's a lot of crossover there. Ex and in, in terms of slam, I think there's a lot of crossover there. I yes. think slam is kind of circling back around to what Fear Factory <laughs> was intending, in my opinion. So I said, you know what, I like bands like Analepsy and shit. So I think maybe I could re-listen to Fear Factory and maybe find kind of some of that in it. And uh, I, I started from zero. I, I went all the way back, which I really don't like Soul of a New Machine. I think it's, you know, everybody talks about how heavy it is and shit. I, I, production wise, I think it sounds terrible. And I actually love Colin Richardson. He's one of my favorite producers. But yeah. D Manufacture was a huge album in my life and, and a lot of people's lives. I had a lot of friends that that changed their fucking life. And to me, when I heard that, I went, oh, these guys are just really sucking Godflesh's dick so hard oh, yes. Uh, yes and that was my thing with so that hard. which i thought was a good you know which i love god flesh but i was like well they're taking god flesh and adding some killing joke and then that's basically it and some new metal on top of it but then uh i actually now revisiting it i can appreciate that album i think it's very well produced i think it was really ballsy to have a uh, rise fulber come in you know to yeah. actually involve industrial musicians in the production of the album was a really ballsy thing at the time and i am kind of with that album when i revisited it i went oh this really was ripped off by a thousand new metal bands and yeah. it really was it really did kind of start a revolution kind of the way heartwork did but yeah. in a different way so i appreciate it in that way i still don't 
really like it that much musically. And then uh, Digimortal. I Big thought it was a bad record, man. Terrible. That's their uh, Diablo and Musica or whatever. <laughs> that's, that's their not... like where they're caving into the new metal trends is what I felt. Do you agree? Yeah. Like, we, where they were. Yeah. They got fucking caved on by Roadrunner. That's the, that's the yeah. classic Roadrunner thing. That's what it felt like. Yeah. It, it, that album feels like a, uh, um, Slipknot album with, with some yeah. industrial elements or something. So you agree. Yeah. yeah I, it's, okay. it is my least, it is my least favorite fear factory record. I, okay. As a person just zipping back through it, that's immediately what I felt. And I went, wow, this one really stands out as being bad. So then, <laughs> uh, obsolete was after that, right? Obsolete was before that. Obsolete it was, was before? before that. Yes. Oh, really? I, th- yes. that one was so superior. I thought it was after. <laughs> no, obsolete. Obsolete was wow. what followed up Demanufacture. Okay, I felt Obsolete was actually much better than Demanufacture, and I felt that one had the first couple of songs on it where I was like, okay, this is what I like about these guys. And uh, shit, you you might, well, you know all the songs on that album, right? Like probably off the top of your head. What's the one that's like um, something about, it's like a police state song or something. It's got something. Securitron. That one. That song is awesome. I was like, okay, that's a good song. This is the first song of theirs I think is a really good song. So uh, I like that song. That song's really brutal and, and yeah. very punishing. And I felt that's the first song that really felt like an industrial song and not like a new metal song. But then I didn't uh, really find anything else on that album that was as good. Well, so I thought that was after Digimortal. So, no, okay. No. Well, that really shuffles things up in my, so which one was after Digimortal? Okay, so after Digimortal was when everything fell apart. That's when the band, like, <laughs> that was when they, they split up for the first time. And well, that's uh, archetype. D- yeah. So archetype is what came next. That's and my favorite album of theirs. I liked archetype. I the one without Dino. I listened to it yeah. like this one is amazing. I like every song. I was like, oh, this the one. <laughs> it's not as tight. It's not as tight. I can tell the difference, but I feel it has better composition on it. It's more emotional. I feel yeah. that um Burton's vocals work better for me on that one. So yeah, that's what the part I thought that my not jibe with you is i actually felt there was i it's a huge step down in production i can tell that's a low budget album compared to you know having rise fulber and all that shit uh they were they were off roadrunner by then so the money bag dried up yeah i can tell i can tell and the the cover is just their their cover artwork has never been i've never really liked much of their cover artwork but uh, that one is particularly awful that looks like some really bad like uh, bedroom slam project cover art or something <laughs> but uh the little the little skeleton arms and legs making the, <laughs> it looks terrible but i really felt that album was a, a that i kept playing it and going like yeah i like this song nope i like this song too okay this was a little weak but i like the chorus like fuck i like that one the best and then uh the one after it transcend transcend no transgression what's it? transgression i felt was a really interesting experiment because yes. i could tell they were very much sucking uh killing jokes dick on that one that is in a most, really good the most productive and generous way that you can look at that record is to say <laughs> that it is a very interesting experiment I, well, I felt it had a couple of things on it that Fear Factory had never done, and I felt that it was it, doing it in an interesting way, but not, not heavy though. wasn't heavy. 
No, it's not a heavy record, but like they're they're a band that doesn't always have to be heavy, and they still manage to pull off some pretty good shit. I you know I I liked Transgression, but like you ask anybody who's not like a diehard, as you say, Fear Factory stand, they're gonna tell you that record fucking sucks. But a lot of those like casual listeners of Fear Factory love Digimortal. That's the um, wait, that's the new metal one, right? Yeah, that's the one that people. That's kind of like their. Um their heart work or their whatever obsolete or demanufactured probably is but like it for i don't know it's really hard to kind of use carcass as an analogy for fear factor well i guess i was meaning in terms of breaking through into like yes yeah i would say that they got so they did really good with obsolete and they were they were poised sort of with the the money of roadrunner backing them and with sort of the state of metal and specifically new metal at the time in like 2000 i think is when digital mortal came out that was when they had the biggest push behind them commercially mm. and even though the record didn't do i think what a lot of people wanted it to it still resulted in them getting the most the most exposure so a lot of people sort of consider that one as as like their their time in the spotlight but let, let me uh, put a pause on this because uh, i just before i proceed with my uh uh evaluation of their their recorded output sir zach are you at all into fear factory or are you like me an outsider in in this i don't have much to offer this in-depth conversation <laughs> that has not already been said but i am a very i i am a fan of fear factory i'm a casual i'm more so a casual fan of fear factory okay you know i kind of grew up with like slipknot and shit so mm. it kind of just made sense for me to be a fan of fear factory growing up so they have a special place in my heart and i like de- um i like the manufacturer but i like the one with fucking uh gene holan on it the best i forget the name oh that's yes. the next one we were mechanize that's mechanize. the next one yeah. that- that that's record fucking rules. That. That's a, Mechanized that's a fucking rules. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Great. Well, record. okay. That's interesting. So you're coming at it from the other side. You're not coming at it from from the new metal side. That's uh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, that's it. they are. They do not get enough credit. I will say this as being a uh, a crossover band sure. of many genres. And I think, man. Well, I'll get to this. Well, we'll get to what's happening with Fear Factory. We were going to talk about Crypticus, but fuck that. Let's talk about Fear Factory. <laughs> I'm more interested in this. Uh, we can circle back. We got time. Do you guys edit this, or are you actually going to force people to listen through all this? We're going to force people to listen to this. <laughs> I love it. Well, then I'm going to read my 15-part uh, poem, The He Blows of High, at the end of it. <laughs> I hope you guys know. That's an inside joke. Um, well, what, so, okay, the two without Dino I thought were very interesting – one I loved, one was an experiment. Okay, uh, Schuler, why were those released back-to-back in two years? That shows trouble as a band. Like, that's way yes. too rushed. Why was that second album so rushed? They, they were having a whole lot of issues with their label. They were having issues with their management. They were having issues with the ownership of the name. Um, apparently, Gee, I wonder who was putting pressure about yeah. that on them. Little, who little could it have Mexican? been? The, uh, the singer was not very happy i don't think with sort of the direction that things went in on on transgression or, or maybe it was the uh, it was the band who wasn't as happy with where things went on transgression that was yeah because i was going to say like burton's current band sounds more like transgression yeah well a lot of so if you the the bass player christian says that what ended up being on the record um were demos like none oh. of that shit 
in his mind was finished. I think that they, they realized after they had already gotten that material put together that they weren't working with something that people were going to respond to very well. And they just tried to get it out and get it done as soon as they could. And they had like a, the record label that they were on was like Calvin records or something, <laughs> a, a, a label I'd never heard of. And that I don't think did anything else. And I think that they kind of fucked it up behind the scenes too. Now I might not have, I'm sure I don't have the full story, but when you say that, a two-year cycle or a one-year cycle or whatever it was signals that there were some issues there. You are correct. There were definitely some issues behind the scenes. Shocking, shocking. Well, I'm happy to see that my assessment is correct here because, uh, yeah, it is. it was really fun to just go back and revisit this band that I had ignored for like 20 years or something and just see like the chronology of what happened because uh, there is a Actually, I think a, a more apt uh, comparison would be comparing them to Megadeth, maybe, in terms of yeah, the, the albums and, you know, the, what they in, influence. It. But anyway, this is not the Fear Factory podcast. Let me get this over with. So the, uh, the one that they were, the one where Dino came back is the one Megadeth. you guys were just, See, yeah, I listened to that one, and I still don't think it's as strong as Archetype, but... I did like, I could tell that Dino had like a little bit of a, you know, someone put a firebrand up his ass and he was like, okay, I'm going to write, okay, I'll write some riffs on this one, guys. Okay, I'll use more than four notes. So yeah, that <laughs> one does stand out. That one stands out in terms of heaviness. Yes. Uh, it stands out, and you could tell the production was just, it just shot through the roof all of a sudden. It's like, you could tell Dino brings the production and the budget when he does the Fear Factory albums. But I, I, I don't know, I heard a Burton C. Bell that I did on um, archetype and um, transgression that I did not hear on any other Fear Factory album. And I think that says something. But, uh, uh, and then the one after Mechanize was? Industrialist. That one, I think uh, from the Mechanized, look on, Mechanized think, Light. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts on uh, replacing the atomic clock Gene Hoagland with uh, program drums? I, it doesn't bother me because it's Fear Factory. I don't have Good an point. issue. I don't have an issue with program drums. I, I don't. A lot of people get really pissed off when they find out that it's a, a a machine and not a person. And I guess I understand that to an extent, but it it doesn't bother me. However, I think it's particularly silly for Fear Factory fans to get up in arms about a band who's been singing about fucking technology for thirty years <laughs> to embrace that technology. And one of Good the cool point. things about that is Gene Hoagland, uh, was, when he was interviewed after having left the band already, when people were talking, I think it was when they were doing promo for The Industrialist and people were asking Gene Hoagland, who was in Testament at that point, um, you know, how do you feel about being replaced by a drum machine or whatever? And his answer was, you never even heard my drums on Mechanize. Like, they, they, <laughs> they, take, they take what I did, and then I think the phrase he used was grit it all out. I oh. don't know exactly what that means, but I assume what he's saying is that he delivered the goods, and then they went through and replaced all that shit with triggers and samples and post-production to make it sound more mechanical. So they at did. the end of the day, you know, where does the machine end and the human begin? These are, these are questions that we must ask ourselves but no it didn't fuck with me whatsoever all right well okay guess what that's a really good segue to go from uh, my assessment of fear factory back into production talk because Let's do it. i have a lot of thoughts about that but yes Let's that was it. my uh, assessment i know there's one last album there but um that one i need to give more time i am i do love dino's guitar sound and i love 
his tightness, and I love his personality. I really wish Dino had a podcast, actually. I know you've interviewed him. forearm like a fucking thigh. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and what do his thighs look like then? <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a hippo of, of metal. I, I actually wish he would just say fuck it and take Fear Factory into brutal death metal. Then I would worship it. Like if he just hired Roger Johansson to do vocals, <laughs> and just right. the next Fear Factory album was produced by Colin Richardson with Roger Johansson on vocals. Uh, yeah, that's what I want from Fear Factory. That'd be a sick yeah. move if their next album was just like inappropriately heavy. Yes. Dirty slam guttural shit from Fear Factory. Yeah, and he just awesome. completely just jump scenes. I would worship yeah. that. I get a tattoo and shit. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, let's go. Let's, let's promote that. <laughs> yes, please. Let's uh, so let's uh, go back to the production talk then. What are your? Yes, sir. Because I know that you you've worked with a drummer before, but you also have programmed your own drums, and then you also have to deal with with uh, the drumming and the drum programming of other bands when you're engineering or mastering. So, oh boy, what, what yeah. Are you, what are your thoughts there? Oh man, I have so many thoughts. Uh, that's so, That's literally the most challenge. The, the most challenging aspect of producing anything is the drum aspect well in metal in death metal it's the drum aspect is getting that right and uh well like he's we we're just discussing i i'm sure there was a reason why dino said you know what we gene's a machine but we got to go to a, a drum machine uh because well he'll give you a reason right I, i'm but sure the real reason is probably because it was more expensive to keep gene hoagland than it was to program those drums that's probably but, yeah but I mean, what, what I'm trying to say is there's so many logistics with drums and things, but, but okay, to, to, to uh, hone in on it, like in terms of my experience, guess what? I didn't have a drummer for many years, but through who? Roger Johansson. Uh, I, when I produced that uh, Rib Spreader album for him, he had a drummer <clears throat> that he was using remotely. That was a guy that he was uh, sending drum performances in and, uh, I was like, oh shit, really? Like you guys, he's like, no, he's Norwegian and I'm Swedish and he's over here and I'm over here. He's like, oh, talk to me about this. And so what this dude was doing and which is kind of a very common thing now is uh, there's these dudes that can kind of hook up their whole rig and then just send out the MIDI performance of what they played. And it's like exactly what they played, but it's captured technologically and you can put whatever kind of sounds you want in there, but the performance is still there. And uh, um, Brynjar Helgetun was one of these guys, and he did the drums on that Rib Spreader album I mixed, which is the Van Murders. Yeah. It was the first time I had used this, which is very much like uh, performance capture like they do with Gollum. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, it's this dude's entire drum performance. And he has an like a, a full kit set up that's just triggered, but it's it captures all the nuances of how he played everything. And I just had all this information and I had to go in and assign each drum to it and make it sound correct and stuff. So that was a fucking logistical nightmare and kind of a big, uh, um, uh, like one of my first huge produ production assignments where I was like, I, I have to get this right. Yeah. <laughs> like so, so that was very, very challenging. But after uh, I, I did okay, I listened back to that Rib Spreader album. I think it sounds kind of crappy, but the main thing was I met Brignard through that. And I was like, hey, uh, would you be interested in doing some drums for my crappy man? Then I'm, he's like, oh yeah, just send it over, man. Yeah, whatever. Just, it's like, 
Uh-huh. Okay. So I, I just recorded some guitars to a click track and I had already programmed my own drums to it and stuff like I used to, you know, like I was used to doing. And I just sent him the guitars alone and I said, well, it's at this uh, tempo. He's like, all right, yeah, just give me some time. I'll send you something back. And then he just sent me back an MP3, like, I don't know, a week later or something. And it was the most fucking amazing thing I'd ever heard in my life. Like he just, it was uh, just so much nuance. And like he'd taken my, my riffs and added so much to it. And it was so fucking heavy and you could just hear so much more to it. So I was like, holy fuck. Like, would you be interested at all? Please, please, please. I'm playing on my next album, which was The Barons. It was the yeah. album working at it at the time and he was like oh yeah yeah whatever and like he it was a huge thing to me but nothing to him like it was, i was just one of eight million bands he, he was drumming for so yeah that was that was that was great now I, I worked with him on many things but it was very very challenging and that but he basically taught me a lot about drum production he was very very exacting he was like no 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 the snare has to sound like this I'm like I thought it did sound like that. It's like, no, 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 no. You're used to listening to guitars. Okay. That you're not getting the symbols. Like he was a motherfucker <laughs> about that stuff. So I, I learned a lot from a, it, sounds, it sounds invaluable. I, yes. I, you know, especially always coming from outside, like as a non-musician, every time I learn something new about the performance or the recording of something like that, even in this case, the programming of something like that, it's always surprising just how difficult and, uh, layered a process it turns out to be mm -hmm. yeah well with him it was just receiving this whole performance yeah there was so much nuance in just that midi it wasn't people think of that like you know it's just like you hit the drum or you don't no there's like levels of it like he would be doing flams and things that, like there there's so much nuance that is actually able to be captured electronically that people don't understand like people like Lord Marco, who drums on everything, you know, that guy has been uh, an electronic kit. Oh, is he on that? Is that Lord Marco? Are you serious? Did you not know that? Lord Marco's on the new Six Feet Under. No, I did not know that. That's very sad. That's very sad. He's on the last Six Feet Under as well. This well, one right here, Torment. Where have you been? That one's way better, though. Do you not know who the rhythm section on these records is? Well, I knew that Jack Owen was on the current masterpiece. The, the rhythm section for Six Feet Under is fucking the same as Brain Drill. It's Jeff Hewell and Marco Petruzzella. You mean even on the new album? Yes, especially on the new album. So that's them plus Jack Owen making that. You are correct, yeah. sir. That is a statement of shittiness. We are putting out a shitty album because fuck you. That's what I heard. Wow. Well, that's... <laughs> Isn't that mind-blowing? I hate to derail yes. you, but yeah, Marco is another one who is everywhere. He's So, I did not know that. <laughs> Good luck wow, recovering. I so, well, I feel so bad for those guys, because you know that they're like, okay, boss, I guess we'll do that. Uh, I, think, I think that that's how he wants it. I think that he's been very, very thorough about eliminating all of the non-yes people from his life over the last however many records, but it sure seems that way. Yeah, lots of people, lots of incredible musicians not in Six Feet Under anymore and makes you wonder why. Uh, yeah, isn't that just like Chris Barnes is turning into like the Ed Wood of fucking death metal. It's embarrassing. Yeah, that's a fair assessment, I would like, say. That sucks. <laughs> the guy responsible for like 
literally my favorite records, death metal records of all time, though. No shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like just a total conundrum in my head. The more I think about <laughs> it, it's kind of sad. Totally, totally, man. Yeah, because I mean, seriously, that guy, in terms of talking gross vocals, right. that guy's a legend. He's like yeah. on Mount Rushmore of it. So it's like, what is he doing to his legacy here? I don't know. I don't know. It's possible to smoke too much weed. It is. Now, see, I, I have been trying to disprove that, and so far, so good. So if I put out a Crypticus album with vocals like this, you guys got to let me know, okay? Well, you, uh, <laughs> I, will, I will let you know. I will come to you, and, and we'll, have, we'll have an honest <laughs> chat. Well, that, that – so now let's – we can circle back to, to Crypticus again. So you – you're – you write all the music, you do all the vocals, you write all the lyrics, you call all the shots, and it's pretty much always, I mean, it's always been that way, right? What mm. I'm curious about now is, especially over the last three years, you know, you've been popping out albums pretty quick. You had The Nightcomers, you had Feast of Absurdity, and now you've got a record coming out soon, The Recluse. Mm. What, what are you going for now, man? Are you just sitting there writing and whatever happens, happens? Or do you have some sort of mission statement that you've got when you, when you say to yourself, all right, this is what we're going to do this time. This is what I'm going to do this time. Oh, bro, you're asking big questions. Cause uh, yeah, this deep shit. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I mean, as, as just, you know, this is just death metal, but this, this, I don't know, this is, I'm expressing something and I'm not exactly sure what it is. I'm not exactly sure. Crypticus is just an expression of the things I love and of me and stuff. And so I don't really know how to judge it exactly because it is actually very, very personal, very metaphorical and shit. Um, I think that kind of leaks out a little bit if you actually read the lyrics and stuff. Yeah. It's not just, uh, I am actually trying to express something, but even I'm kind of trying to figure out what it is. Um, I do have this. Yeah, there has been a change over the last few years. I, I think if you listen to it, maybe you can tell uh i it's more of a, a i can't really go into the details about where i work and stuff because i i don't want that out there but i work in a, a place of high um uh, of lots of time by myself i'll just put it that way <laughs> i have a place that i work where i have a lot of time where i can create and think and uh be in touch with uh, dark things and i work around a lot of spooky shit i wish i could say where i work but i can't uh, i've had problems in the past due to this but, uh, no, no problem man uh but i work in a place by myself and it is amazing and that is kind of like this laboratory that i uh of my own um fears and emotions and things and there's i i'm constantly into horror i'm constantly into death metal i'm constantly into reading weird fiction and like i i truly am one of those people i'm addicted to this stuff like it's not you know just shirt that i wear or whatever this is my fucking life so it's some kind of expression of my love of horror and so i kind of have this setup where i can just constantly record riffs so uh, when a, a riff strikes me, it's because I had heard, and this is so, you know, like I'm not comparing myself to Prince in any way, but I had heard that Prince had this set up at his house where he could record at any time an idea struck him. I was like, that motherfucker knew what he was talking about. Okay, so I have kind of a similar thing. Like I have shit set up to record to go at any moment. So because I will 
have something that will just strike me from a book or from a movie or something just emotionally. And to uh, riffs to me are kind of a, a currency that I save up. And I, I, I save a lot of riffs, but not just willy nilly. I connect them kind of end to end. So I have this file that is just kind of this, this riff goes into this one and this one. And it's very kind of uh, like a diary in a weird way. I know I'm, this is getting so pretentious, but no, this dude, is I mean, the that, truth of the process. This, I, ask, I ask these questions like <laughs> of musicians on the show all the time. I'm more familiar with your stuff than I am with a lot with some of the musicians that we have on here. But like, this is the kind of shit that we like to hear. I think it's really interesting. And I also think that the people who listen to the podcast think it's interesting too. It's a really cool look inside somebody's creative process, which is hard to come by. So please continue. Well, thank you. I, I, I hope so. I'm just not, not trying to be, I've never discussed it on this level on like a podcast or anything, but it's, you know, back when I first started, I kind of thought in terms of songs and this song starts and ends and this, and that this many songs equals an album. Now it's just kind of this ongoing thing where I'm just putting things together and I will go, Oh, I'll chop that off there. And that's an album. <laughs> but then yeah. beyond that, there's still stuff. So it's, I have this very weird diary of riffs and things. And just, I kind of, uh, they're very, um, it, it's just kind of like an, it's more emotional than it is anything else. So like, like even when I write a riff now, it has to feel a certain way when I play it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to be this weird kind of, uh, I'm trying to explore this death metal music in a way that may, like in a more serious way than maybe people generally think about it. I consider it like a jazz or something. I consider it an actual really serious, vital form of music that is, yeah, it shouldn't just be about, you know, raping people or torturing people. I think it should Agreed. be about really serious shit. It should be about death, you know, and about facing death and stuff. So a lot of my love of horror is also based on fear of mortality i think that's true for everyone i mean the gr gruesome things we wear and the gruesome things we watch is trying to deal with a fear of mortality and uh even these idiots that write songs just in entire albums about just raping and torturing women that's still them trying to deal with a fear of something so i'm trying to deal crypticus is me dealing with fear on some level i don't know uh but musically it is me trying to express the things I love. I'm just totally ripping off everything I love. That's all there is to it. Hey, I man, rip up. So are we. That's, <laughs> yeah. all, that's all that there is, though. You know what I mean? There's I agree. Nothing, there's nothing outside of that. Uh, everything that we create is is repurposing the things that impacted us in some way. But the totally, cool thing, totally. the cool thing about that is that when it when it's filtered through you, it comes out as something that's uniquely yours. And I think that that's very much something that's evident in your music. Well, I'm trying to be particularly as weirdly honest about my my the things i love through crypticus in in a way that maybe only people that might know me would would understand there is a lot of metaphor in the lyrics believe it or not like even well, it's all I, gurgling and puking but it, there's a lot it's a, like i'm very influenced by poe and by uh lovecraft and um Manly Wade Wellman and Clark Ashton Smith and writers. There's a lot of horror writer worship in Crypticus and a lot of th those guys were also pouring their fears and loves. In, in right. Their and I, I think that that's one of the, you know, the best horror is metaphorical in that same way, right? The best mm -hmm. horror movies, the best horror fiction, all those things are, are using this as like a mechanism for grappling with bigger shit. 
Totally, um, absolutely. Specifically, you know, the fear of death is one thing. The fear of the future is another thing. It's all based on sort of this, our inability to know the other, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That gives us cosmic horror. That gives us all kinds of other different sort of iterations of that in the horror genre. And so I think that it's only natural to, to make that connection between death metal um, and people who are creating it in a way that is a little bit, like you said, it's not so focused on some of the artifice. I think that a right. lot of times, and you see this in all kinds of music, right? Um, and a lot of times sort of as like a cultural token almost. My, my favorite singer has this band uh, on this album. He sings about, you know, sexual violence or something like that when that might have been some sort of organic connection or that singer sort of trying to work through his own trauma or through his own fears or something like that, you're mm -hmm. going to get people who are going to be able to see that sort of inspiration. And then you're going to have other people who are going to say, Oh, cool. I'm going to sing about this shit too, even though they really don't have any sort of connection to it. And I think that Absolutely. that definitely cheapens it. Um, but at the same time, you know, all we have is what we take from other places. And I, I think that how you cycle through that and how you reflect that, um the good shit's gonna rise to the top and it's gonna it's gonna stick around longer a lot of times you'll have mm -hmm. like the flash in the pan where the dudes are pretty the fucking 808s hit hard it's just <laughs> the right place at the right time and everybody gives a shit about them for a minute but that goes away or they shift genres they go somewhere else i think a lot of the the death metal musicians who really gave this genre the meat the bones the spirit that it has even if they have sort of changed gears over the years, they still have that death metal spirit there. It mm -hmm. still feels very much organic, right? And so mm -hmm. we can trace that evolution through your music, but when you look at a change between an album like fucking Symphonies of Sickness to Heartwork to Swan Song, I can still see like an organic, I can still trace something through that that feels like people not trying to fit into a particular genre, but to find a new one or to create right. something different. Um, and I think that that impetus, that, that drive, that desire behind creation is something that we have in death metal that needs to be nurtured. Um, and to that end, we, uh, we think about you know the the guys like you the guys like trevor who you know trevor trevor has you you've got megatrends and brutality he's got the obituarist where he's digging through sort of the underground and <laughs> posting shit and recommending it to people and just the fact that you guys are able to do this sort of fostering and nurturing a new generation of, of people who are getting in this kind of music while creating your own music in the genre i think is a testament to how much artistic integrity and how much love the people who create this music uh, have for it um before we so we're, we're winding down time wise i wanted to say uh let's give it a minute to pitch yourself man what's what's coming up next i know what you're working on but tell the people who are listening because it's i, I can i say can i say that i've oh sure yeah no, I, I i i have heard a song from some of this shit that's coming <laughs> up it's 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 fucking really good man it really oh really, yeah really well is. I wanted to get your opinion. Yeah, I sent you a demo of the new Crypticus song, Repulsive Flamanifestation. <laughs> what were your yes. thoughts, sir? <laughs> did you hear I, it too? Did no, you hear it too? I didn't well, know. Let him hear. Not I, man, I'm, I'm fucking. I shut <laughs> me up, man. I wanted to make sure that I uh, that I was respectful of the confidence that I had earned here. Well, no, I I, I trust you guys. Come on. Uh, well. well it, 
I definitely feel like, and that's that's one of the things that I was trying to get at earlier. I feel like the these the quicker releases that you have done now uh, over the last couple of years, so Nightcomers and then Feast of Absurdity and then this, it really does feel like it's all part of one long album. And so it's interesting to see that you are making it's it's not like it's not like the same thing over and over again, but it feels like different chapters in the same story rather than just like something completely different. And yeah. now that I know that your writing process is like stringing riffs together and then like when it stops, it stops. I think it's really interesting because you can sort of pick up um, where you left off from, from one place to the next. Yeah, and that's what's weird for me because it, it, I don't know where it's going in this way. And this is kind of inspired by uh, the Dan Swano idea of doing Crimson, of just, that was how that came to be with, with uh, Edge of Sanity. It's like he said, had that same idea. It's this is an idea I came up with. But yeah, I started doing that and I started realizing like the, the only problems with songs is starting them and ending them. Uh, it it should just be this ongoing thing but my songs do have starts and ends but i have to engineer those now because like i could literally remove the beginnings and endings of them and just smash them together and it would just be one big long song that's why some of them especially like on um feast of absurdities uh have some quite shocking time changes and flips in them and stuff which i don't care about i love that stuff like because i um that is an influence from a Megadeth's Wake Up Dead. Like, I love how the, in the middle of that song it goes, and it just kind of turns backwards and the riff goes all weird and stuff. So I, I love that stuff. So I, I don't care if a riff is inappropriate to the previous riff. I like that whole kind of head snap thing. And it, it has made the music more suspenseful, but to me anyway, because like, I honestly don't know where it's going. But yeah, yeah, I cut off the end of the Feast of Absurdities at the song, uh, Trick or Teeth, which is the most Halloweeny song I ever wrote, which is full yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that was, that was a standalone single first, was it not? Yes, yes. Uh, which, uh, that is one of the weirdest songs I think I've ever written. I think it's one of the most uniquely cryptic songs. It doesn't sound like anybody else. That's it's really sure. fun, man. It was it's a very it was weird a song. Well, I, I uh, but again, it's kind of like more like I'm channeling something than engineering that. I didn't know that song was going to turn out that way. And when I heard it, like, wow, this is a very weird death metal song. If I heard this, I don't know if I'd like it. But yeah, that ended, and but I kept composing. And that's what is coming out next is uh, the next chunk that I'm going to release is called The Recluse, which is heavily kind of breathing in the influences of... Um, uh, the House on the Borderlands, uh, Awake in the Nightlands. These are these are the weird horror fiction things. Oh, that are Awake in the this. Nightlands is the uh, isn't that like a collection? Isn't that like a dude who picked it's up not, some of the Nightlands shit and sort of wrote his own version? Yes, of it? yes. It was something that it wasn't. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm too drunk now to remember who's the the fucking author of House on the Borderlands. Uh, William Hope Hodgson. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. William Hope, William Hope Hodgson. That is the thing that has been metaphorically infecting my life is those two stories. He wrote The Nightland and he wrote House on the Borderlands. And they're both very weird. Like if they made movies of those right now, it would blow people's minds and be like, this yeah. is the most amazing thing. Like, but nobody knows about it because it's old fucking pulpy shit that nobody gives a shit about. But those things have infected my life. I've been studying that and uh, that this next chunk is very influenced by uh 
but yes, you're correct. Awaken the Nightlands is, I can't remember that author. He's a modern author that took up the William Hope Hodgson Nightland yeah. idea. I remember seeing about, I remember reading about it somewhere because I, Nightlands I, I thought was, was a very, it's crazy. The, con, the concept being so, I was like, it's, and it's been a long time since I've read this, but that's where there's like, it's the future and it's dark all the time and the remnants of humanity are like underneath pyramids and they don't know. One pyramid, one only pyramid. one. That's seven miles know, high. <laughs> but aren't there's they, they don't know if there are other pyramids out there anymore because right. they used to be, weren't there? Okay, yeah. It's been a long time, yes. but I, I do think that it's interesting that somebody's sort of taking that up and doing something different with it. And it's going to be really cool to see how that sort of filters into the music that you make, both as well, somebody who listens to death metal and also somebody who's really familiar with your past work. This isn't going to be like a literal adaptation of those. Oh, this no, is just no, like no, metaphorically right. what those are those stories have infected my life in a very personal way. And so I'm pouring a lot of that into this, but the recluse is, is going to be a very long, like 20 minute EP, which I think is going to have six songs on it. And uh, you heard one of them. Uh, that's yeah. the, uh, that's the first song that you heard, but it, it, it's, uh, it's got some crazy proggy stuff on it, but it's also got some really incredibly gross, vomitous stuff. I'm trying to work on it to give it the best production ever, but I always kind of fall short of that. <laughs> we'll see. I always am disappointed with the production when I go back, but uh, that's my ongoing uh, Sisyphus <laughs> boulder. <laughs> A work is never finished. Exactly. It's only abandoned. You'll never right, achieve exactly. it. I know. Well, as I know. we, everybody, hopefully who's listening is, is stoked to hear it. I know I'm stoked to hear it. Zach has been, been, converted to the crypticus cult recently so <laughs> okay, everybody thank you stoked. so much as we zach i feel like i've stepped on you this entire time man i'm really sorry do you want to <laughs> you want to close it out my man i would love to close it out and i've just been it's a it's a pleasure to be able to do this with such amazing people like you guys and i'm just enjoying your passion and enjoying everything and i was um, an honor to be a small part of this conversation as always right. so don't ever feel like that man you're you're a blessing and Patrick, I have to ask you, what is your favorite Black Sabbath album? Oh, geez. See, because to me, I never group them by album. It's just like the songs I love. Okay. But if I ever, mm, I guess I'd probably say the first one because that just, when I heard, like the part when it goes, Satan's coming around the band, that shit, that riff changed my life when Absolutely. i heard that doo, 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 that was the first riff i had to learn with my pinky yeah and right, right. it was i so i think i gotta go with the first one yeah that's a respectful choice that's the first so we asked this question of everybody on the end of the show and you're the first person to go he is isn't he he's the first yeah, person to say is. self-titled are you kidding me that's just the cover of that just that that dreary cover with that lady on, that's so, it's so creepy that fundamental you know just primordial yes. yeah i love it worship it yeah it uh it's fucking awesome it never feels old when you listen to it at all that first yeah. song is like the most unique song in metal i think it's so and so evil and it's it never gets old it's even the production great. i think still sounds great you know it might need to be remastered for the the volume level sure. or whatever but the production just untouched on those albums is just gorgeous the drums the bass everything just gorgeous but yeah that one to me i i had friends in high school where we would all get together and play songs off that album it was like the first songs i learned on guitar and that yeah that that shit is a rite of passage you know that, oh, that's, yeah. oh, love it love it all right 
Wait, that's All right, it. man. Well, intro. thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. We uh, are looking forward to hearing more from you. And of course, you and I will be shooting the shit very soon. Absolutely. Love you guys. Thank you for having me. I, I always love talking metal. Yeah, I think it's funny that on my episode, half of it was us talking about Fear Factory. So Dino, yeah, know, right? Dino, get at me. You owe me some uh, royalties here, bud. We can, um, we can always, we, we have repeat <laughs> guests on this show. So we'll definitely have a Crypticus part two at some point. Absolutely. I'd love it. I'd love it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks bro. again, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Very, very, very passionate, knowledgeable dude. What a good dude. What a good dude. That's what, what we say every time. And we're always, we're always right. But yeah, like he, that, that dude, without that dude, I definitely would not have the, the musical identity that I have right now. It was interesting that he didn't know that until a couple of days ago, because I thought we'd discussed it before. But one of the, one of the things that I, that I think is cool about sort of what he does is just how much he loves the shit that inspires it and and it's really cool to see somebody who's super vocal and passionate about that doing it for the right reasons and those will rise to the top among amongst the oh yeah man absolutely we'll do this again soon brother let's stay in touch about something we got some we got to cook something up yes indeed we're going to come up with something cool for halloween so you motherfuckers listen and you listen good we'll be back soon peace out man i'll see you later buddy thank you for being you same to you my man